Welcome to the Middle of Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. Hey, Peter. We are Eden. both feeling kind of we're both feeling kind of low energy today. So <laughs> we are. And maybe that's not a thing I should put into the world, but too late. I already did. Um, you know what? I think it's okay. It's okay for people to have low energy days and you know, to still I, do the things that we need or want to do, even if it's with a little less energy. Than- I'm with you. I think that that's a very good point. Um, anyway, uh, what you've been up to? Anything fun you've been engaging with the last couple of weeks? It's been Christmas and New Year since we chatted last. It has. I'm honestly trying to think through, you know, I've done a lot of music listening, kind of compiling my, my favorite albums of 2022, uh, narrowed it down to 25. I could be more brutal and make it a smaller list, but, but it was interesting out of those 25, 10 of those albums were either death metal or kind of death metal adjacent, whether it was death doom or something like that. But I thought that was for me, at least a surprising amount of death metal in my favorite music of the last year. And I've been reflecting a little bit on what that means about 2022. And I think that it might mean that in some ways, 2022 was a bit of a crap fest. I mean, I think that was fair for a lot of us. For the I listeners so. who maybe aren't uh, huge metal fans, could you situate death metal in the larger metal uh, milieu for listeners? Like, why why is it surprising to you that there was so much death metal this last year? Well, you know, I do enjoy death metal, but it would be one of the more recent types of metal that I have uh, taken a liking to. I previously was much more in kind of a, you know, I I like progressive metal a lot. That used to be my favorite. Uh, I like thrash metal a lot. I mean, I would say that if I were to list my top five favorite metal subgenres, it it would probably, death metal I don't think normally would be in the top five. It would be close, but it would be either uh, just outside the top five or number five. And with, with other genres, again, like thrash, progressive, post metal, uh, doom metal. Um, yeah, I don't know what else, but again, that's where, you know, death metal maybe comes in at five or maybe it's just out of the top. So it was just surprising to me that, you know, nearly half of my favorite albums were death metal or, or death metal related. And for those who don't really understand death metal, um, I I saw a very funny, well, I don't know how funny it was, but I thought it was actually a surprisingly informative way to categorize some of the different sub-metal genres. Uh, and and I'll try and do this off the top of my head. I'm not going to try and dive, dive into Instagram and see if I can find it because it's been a bit, but I think I remember it for the most part. And it kind of described the, the sub-metal genres as thus. Heavy metal you know there's a beast. Doom metal, you preach about the beast. Black metal, you obey the beast. Thrash metal, you're going to effing kill the beast. Power metal, you're going to fight the beast. Viking metal, you're going to fight the beast for Odin. New metal, 
you're afraid of the beast. Glam metal, you're too drunk to know there's a beast. <laughs> and then death metal, you are the beast. Okay. So, you know, I, uh, like I say, I thought that was an interesting way to put it. And, and I kind of read that and I was like, yeah, that, that actually kind of works. And, and so again, you know, uh, it would just be unusual for me to have so many albums that resonated with me this year that were as brutal or this past year that were as brutal as they are. And I mean, we're talking some brutal stuff. We're talking some immolation, some psychroptic, some septic flesh, some, uh, you know, just a, a fair bit of, of pretty heavy, uh, death metal in there that again, normally I would listen to, but I would listen to a little more sparingly. But for some reason this last year, it just really seemed to tickle my fancy. Interesting. But you know, other than that, not a whole lot. Um, finally did start reading again because, and I thought I would announce this here. I did finally finish my NaNoWriMo book on December 20, uh, 31st. Yay. I finally wrote the, the end of it. It, it came in at right now it's around 61,000 words or so. Um, I'm going to definitely go back and rework it and edit it and, uh, fix a lot of the issues that I know that are in it that kind of developed as I was writing, because I know there's some inconsistencies and some places where I need to, I don't know. I need to enrich the backstory a little bit, uh, but it felt good to, to get it done. It felt good to wrap sure. it up and, and put a bow on it and uh, move on from that. So, well, how about you though? Well, Any, anything interesting you've been checking out lately? Um, well, I have regrettably become Star Wars pilled again. <laughs> I was off. I was off for a few years. I think we've talked about it here, but Rise of Skywalker mm -hmm. broke me so badly that I was out. I was completely out of Star Wars altogether. And then Andor Ding Dang pulled me right back on in. Um, we have been, my partner and I, um, have been watching Andor together because she has not seen it. Um, mm. and I had been raving about it. Um, and so we decided to watch one episode a night in between Christmas and Reyes Magos, which is tomorrow from when we're recording. Um, and so that is what we did. Uh, you know, on Christmas we watched rogue one and then we've watched one episode every day since we watched the penultimate episode today. Um, and it's just a really good show. Even on rewatch, I'm like, this is just as strong, if not stronger than I thought it was the first time through. Nice. Um, and so I've just been dabbling in a lot of Star Wars media because of it. Um, on my lunch breaks, I've started watching an episode of the show Rebels. Okay. Because that that is also kind of that interbellum period of a show it takes place literally at the exact same time as andor um you know five years before the battle of yavin um and i had never really seen it i had heard that the first season was kind of shaky but seasons two through four were really good um but i decided to just dive in and i am really enjoying it to be perfectly honest i think that the crew of the ghost is a very fun like it's it's clearly a child's show. Like it is for kids. This is not like Andor, where this is designed for adults. This is a kid sure. show, and it shows in in the way that it is animated, in the way that things play out. 
obviously they're shorter episodes they're tight 22s because they were on cartoon network or whatever um but i'm surprised even in the first few episodes of the first season how adroitly it is weaving the concept of rebellion and and family and sticking up for what you think is right um into this kids show and frankly the ghost crew does a whole hell of a lot of murders for the heroic protagonists of our kids tv show Mm. they are literally murdering stormtroopers left right and center all the time in nearly every episode and like that's cool but like it was different when it happened in Clone Wars because most of the time your your audience insert Ahsoka was killing droids. And while I think that droids are people in the Star Wars universe, I understand that that does not seem to be the consensus for whatever reason among both fans and creators of Star Wars media. Droids seem to be seen as less than rather than sentient, sapient people. Um, which yeah. is what they are. Let's be perfectly sure. honest. These are people. Um, so, but the show treats it differently when someone kills a droid than when someone kills a, a flesh and blood being in the show Clone Wars. But in Rebels, they're all, those are just people. They might not have faces because they're behind Stormtrooper masks, but dog, those are just folks. And your 15-year-old protagonist has murked quite a few of them in these first six episodes. <laughs> So, but I'm enjoying it. I think it's, like I said, I really like the crew, um, like the main characters. I think that it's a really fun kind of found family. Um, I think their ship is very cool. The ghost um, is a cool design for a ship. It's not as kind of outlandish maybe as the Millennium Falcon. It's a little more, it's geometry makes more sense is what I'll say than the Millennium Falcon. But I think that it is a very cool ship all the same. I think it's a very, very cool ship. Um, and again, I really like the crew. Uh, one of the droid, the droid that's on the crew is an all-timer. Um, he is such a little shit. Uh, <laughs> you think R2-D2 is a rambunctious troublemaker. You ain't seen shit till you've seen Chopper. Chopper is so much more of a dick than R2-D2 could ever dream of being. <laughs> uh, and that works. It works for him. Uh, But yeah, so I've been watching Rebels, and then I also, uh, during the holidays, uh, the Epic Game Store was doing daily giveaways of of games, and one of the games they gave away was Star Wars Squadrons, so I convinced my, I already owned it on, I'm a sucker like you, so I just buy things when they're on sale, and whether I've engaged with them or not. Sure. Um, But I have played, I've played Squadrons before, I had it on my PS4 for a long time, and I played it, um... And it's also on Game Pass, so I can play it on my PC and play it on my, I can live that bougie life because I've got it on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brothers in law don't have Game Pass; they don't have Xboxes. So I was like, "Hey, you guys should download this so that we can, uh, you know, do some multiplayer squadrons together. We can run some missions." Um, so I've been playing squadrons in preparation to hopefully, you know, this weekend do some multiplayer with my my brothers in law. Um, and then just earlier today, I restarted, uh, I guess I started last night, Jedi Fallen Order. Have you, okay. Did you ever play Jedi Fallen Order? I did. I played that on, I want to say I got it, I played it on the Xbox. 
Yeah, I played it originally on my PS4, but it also is on Game Pass, and I prefer the Xbox controller, so I am replaying it on the the Xbox now. Nice. Um, in preparation for the sequel coming out next month, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely um, looking forward to that. Yeah, I think I I had forgotten how much I liked it until I booted it up and started it up again, and I was like, Cal Kestis is a great protagonist, and BD1 again, all timer droid. They the star the the Disney era is really knocking out of the park when it comes to droids. You got Chopper, you got BD1, you got B2 Emo. I mean, you still you got BB8. You still got mm-hmm. R2D2 running around. So like, it's droid o'clock every day in my in my heart. You know you know I love robots and I love Star Wars robots more than any other type of robot. So. Oh, yeah. uh, it has been fun to be running around with BD1 again, hanging on off my back. He just reminds me of my dog, Jack, who likes to sit in my uh, chair as my lumbar support, leaning against my back all day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I guess I've just become Jedi pilled again. I'm into, I'm into nice. Star Wars again. Well, there you go. You know, sometimes it's nice to have a good reason to come back to something that, you know, maybe maybe you didn't spend quite as much time with in the last little bit. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, Star Wars is, like, my first fandom. It was the first property that I remember truly loving. Yeah, me too. Um, and so it's and, – and I understood when I felt like it wasn't for me anymore, and I was willing to let it go. I was, I'm not one of those people who's like, they need to cater to me. Uh, Star Wars is primarily for kids and teens, and that's okay. And I'm not one of those anymore, and that's okay if it doesn't cater to me then they sometimes do cater to you when they put out a show like Andor and that is laser focused at the 38 year old disaffected exennial uh former Star Wars fan so <laughs> I guess I'm 39 oh my god I'm 39 yeah anyway are. we don't need to talk we don't need to talk about the inexorable passage of time that's happening to no, all of us that is happening to all of us and it will uh, y- you know, we started this and saying we had low energy. If we, if we start going down that path, the energy is just going to continue to just disappear. It's true. So let's get excited. Let's talk about let's something exciting. It. Let's so do it. this week I wanted to talk. It was based on some things, some comments that you've made as we've chatted the last few months. What I really wanted to talk about is tabletop RPGs like and so I have some, you know, ideas of things I want to talk about, but basically I wanted, and, and, and it seems very apropos of some things that um, have leaked out just earlier today um, regarding uh, some some choices that are being made by the owners of, uh, of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems like a, a relevant time to talk a little bit about tabletop RPGs um, and our experiences with them if we like them, why we like them and what sorts of things we're into like that. So, so I guess my first question, Peter is what is your experience with tabletop RPGs? It is, it is rather limited to be honest. Um, if I go back to the many, many years ago as a youth, uh, I was always interested in dungeons and dragons. And that was the one back in the eighties that, you know, everybody kind of knew that was the one that people talked about. And that was the one that at least in Northern Utah, where we grew up in, in the uh, Mormon subculture community, 
uh, somebody decided that it was uh, it was of the devil that it was satanic back in the 80s and so it kind of had that that wasn't just utah that the satanic panic was a very real thing nationwide well, that's good to know that it wasn't just isolated to utards, uh, of which, you know, uh, I, I probably had to count myself, at least back there at the time. Uh, but it was, you know, I had some of those, and I think we've mentioned this before, some of the the TSR, uh, which was the company before they became Wizards of the Coast. Um, they had some kind of choose-your-own-adventure-style books, and uh, I enjoyed those. And then there was a book that, uh, for the life of me, I wish I could remember what it was called. But it was sort of a single-player tabletop RPG-type game where it was kind of a mix of a choose-your-own-adventure book, but you had a character sheet with statistics, and you were tracking your, your hit points and things like that. And I loved the heck out of that thing. I thought it was super cool. At one point, I got, I think that it's called Hero Quest. Uh, it, it was kind of a, a modular, it was somewhere between a true tabletop RPG and a, you know, kind of a board game. You had a board, but for each different encounter, you'd set the board up differently people, you know, the players came up with characters who progressed from scenario to scenario and someone acted as the game master and was running the NPCs and, and things like that. So uh, again, you know, in, in kind of my teenage years played the crap out of that with some friends. And then I went to college and then I went to med school and then I did residency and then I started working as a physician and I just didn't have time and didn't really, uh, I'll be honest. I didn't connect with people well enough because of my severe social anxiety that I had anyone who I felt like I could have even tried to engage in tabletop role-playing games with. So, you know, that honestly brings us up to, end of 2021 start of 2022 and uh kind of give the short story and and that really was uh, my wife has a friend who's really big into dungeons and dragons and, and other role-playing games he wanted to convince her that it would be fun she remains unconvinced but she gave it a real good college try so she <laughs> created a character and then he's like, well, we got to have at least one other person. So then my 13 year old, 12 year old at the time, he creates a character and the two of them are trying to run the lost minds of Fandelver and they're getting their butts kicked because there's only two of them. Right. So I kind of said, well, I mean, I guess this is as good a reason as any to try and figure this out. And so I, you know, got the player's handbook and started you know, design, you know, building a character and, and kind of started doing that and played a session or two with them. But again, it just wasn't really something that my wife was into. And so it somehow I mentioned it in passing or, or something at work. And one of the guys in the OR said to me something about how he'd always wanted to 
give out table, you know, give tabletop role-playing games a try in particular Dungeons and Dragons. Again, I think just because of its, it's the way it sort of worked itself into the social consciousness. People know about that one more. It's ubiquity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, we ended up talking to a couple other people there in the operating room and I went to one of the other guys and I said, Hey, look, I understand you've been playing D and D since like first edition. And he's like, Oh yeah, I've been playing since the seventies. And I said, would you be at all interested in taking a bunch of us who've either never played or have only played very little long time ago in the past and kind of, you know, be in our DM. And he very graciously agreed and said he'd be happy to do that for us. And that was probably end of February, early March of 2021. And this group of us, there's, um, 21 or 22, sorry, beginning of 22. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so, you know, for almost a year now, uh, this group of us, uh, there's, uh, six of us in total, uh, including the, the DM, uh, we've been getting together almost every week and, uh, I've been playing some dungeons and dragons. Nice. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And, and there's more, a little bit in there that we'll, we'll talk about going forward, but that's, you know, again, it's, it was always one of those things that I was tangentially interested in, but didn't ever really have either the time or in some cases the guts to really try and find someone uh, or, or a group of other people who are interested in it. And uh, yeah, I, I probably to be fair, you know, there's been a, uh, a podcast that I listened to total party kill where they, you know, play dungeons and dragons together. And there's a bunch of those kind of podcasts. And this is one Indeed. that I just happened to, uh, it was easy for me to get into because I listened to many of the people who are on this, they're on other podcasts that I listened to. So there was that kind of that parasociality with that group of people that made it easier to get into that and listening to them play it and kind of, that I think was probably what helped me the most, at least get some concept of the mechanics and made it a lot easier to start playing it myself. But what about you? I know, I think you've, you've had a little more broad experience with tabletop RPGs than me. A bit. Um, I mean, I, my formative experiences are very similar to yours as well. Um, because I would read those endless quest books that you had, um, mm-hmm. or wizards, warriors, and you, which was, you know, kind of bridged, you know, we had endless quest that was basically just D and D versions of choose your own adventure. And you had, uh, wizards, warriors, and you, which made you pick, do you want to play the wizard or the warrior? And you would have to pick if you were the wizard, which spells did you want to bring? And that would affect what choices you could make in the book. Or if you were being the warrior, which weapons did you want to bring? And that would affect your choices in the book. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they also, we also had at least one of the super endless quest books, which were, were those, or, or, you know, they changed their name to advanced dungeons and dragons adventure books later on. That mm-hmm. was the one where you had to like keep track of your hit points and you would actually roll dice and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, I engaged with those when I was a young kid, um, played hero quest, which your copy of hero quest happens to be in my basement right now, I believe. Um, 
that makes me so happy to know that it still exists somewhere because I have thought of it on and off many times over the years. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in my basement right now. I think I grabbed it when I was home visiting the parents either right before or right after my wedding. So I'm, I'm fairly certain it's in my basement right now. Nice. Um, and so, you know, played the hell out of that up to like, you know, it came with that that booklet that had like 14 pre-prepared adventures in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we went and made photocopies so that we could create our own versions of the map and our own stories to go with it. Um, And that really was kind of the genesis of when you're making that, that is two steps away from being a dungeon master right there, baby. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, as I grew up, same sort of thing as you, I, and it kind of fell out of the popular consciousness, like D and D in the late eight, the late nineties, early two thousands was not a thing. People were playing around their table. It was, they were playing Baldur's gate yeah. or Planescape torment or Icewind Dale. Um, and so that was where I started to re-engage with, you know, the ideas of D and D because those babies, that those, those programs are rolling the dice for you. Um, and you can even turn on a thing so you can see exactly what dice rolls you're getting. Cause that is, those games are just playing D and D, but digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, shortly after we got married, we had some friends who wanted to start a, a D and D group. Um, and so Cassie and I both decided to go, uh, I think very similar to your, uh, fine wife, my dear spouse was not interested after a couple of sessions. She was like, this is not for me. Part of the problem, part of the problem is that we started on D and D four, fourth edition. Okay. Do you know, do you know much about the differences between the different editions of D and D? Have you looked into this as all as at all as you've gotten more into D and D? I have not. The one thing I am aware of is that the guy who is uh, DMing for us said that he continued to play second edition until about two or three years after fifth edition had been released. And that was when he finally decided that 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 was a new edition worth moving to. So he didn't, he he was not impressed enough with third and fourth edition that he uh, did anything really with those. I don't know why, but I did think that that was an interesting thing he mentioned to me. Sure. Uh, they're very different from one another. Um, I have, I, you know, I, one of the things that I went and did bef- in preparation for this is I just took a picture of my shelf of RPG books um, because they're like hidden on a low shelf. Cause I don't really, I haven't had a reason to engage with them in the last couple of years. Um, because unlike you, I have not started a D and D group during the pandemic. Um, but so I went and I took a picture of all of the books that I have and I've read most of them, even if I haven't played them, you know, I have a first, I have some first edition books. I have some third edition, some 3.5, some four and some five. And you can see the big changes that happened between each of those. Second edition is really very similar to first edition. It just cleaned up some of the rules, but like fourth edition is the real outlier because fourth edition was made when Warhammer and Warhammer 40K started to get really popular. Okay. And so what happened was the designers were like, what if we went back to the war, green, the war game roots that were the pre-D&D books 
or the pre-D&D things that Gygax and his collaborators were making, because D&D is born out of wargaming. What if we go back and make it more wargame-esque? And simply put, uh, fourth edition, I have a lot of fondness for it because we played it, and it was my first introduction to D&D. But fourth edition asks the question, what if every job was a wizard? <laughs> in that, in that, let's say you want to be a fighter in fourth edition. You open up your player's handbook. You open up to the fighter and it says, here are your four level one skills. You have two at will skills, one encounter skill and one daily skill. And you're like, don't I just swing my damn sword? And right? D&D 4 says, no, you don't. You have to pick one of these two ways to swing your sword. And then you have to do the specific things that the spell essentially says for just swing sword. And hmm. that is how every single class in 4th edition plays. So it would, it would require you to focus so much on positionality, you could not play it without miniatures and a grid. You simply can't play 4th edition without a grid. And like 5th? Fifth, it's fine. It's fine. You just fudge it. Just make it up. It's fine. You don't need. You don't need minis. You don't need maps. Oh yeah, I mean we have maps. We have minis and we have a map, but there are a lot of times when we're playing where we just kind of ignore that, and it is all theater of the mind. Exactly. Exactly. You can't do that with four. You have to have it out. You have to be able to measure exactly how many squares from you to the next person. To so it's really grognardy and like messy in that way. So like by the time you got to level t ten or twelve, I had these cards that I had made for my warlord that were all of the different at will attacks, the different encounter attacks, the different daily attacks, and like I would be. It would take a thousand years for anyone to take a turn because you'd have to flip through twenty five cards to figure out which damn attack you wanted to do hmm. um whereas you know if you play as a fighter in fifth edition it's like would you like to hit things with your weapon and right. the higher in levels you go all that means is how many more times do you get to swing your weapon on your turn? <laughs> exactly is it how two? Many times is it three is it? it four like yeah it is not i don't have to like say well i'm doing this kind of attack and then this kind of attack and then this no i'm swinging my damn sword it's just a question of do I get to swing it three times or do I get to swing it two times? Um, and so it's really complicated because every single person has to have the mindset of a wizard. And I firmly believe it takes a very particular type of person to play a magic caster in an RPG. And if you're not that kind of person, then you're not going to be into D&D 4th edition. Um, but that was what I started with, was 4th edition. And I had a fair amount of fun. Um, eventually, the person who was DMing for us uh, wanted to play instead of DM, so I took over as the DM of that group for a while. Um, and basically, any time I've had to play since I've been a DM, because that's what happens. You, you GM once, and then people are like, oh, now you're <laughs> GMing for life, sucker. Yeah, that's too bad. It's okay. It's kind of fun to GM. I like GMing. Um, but then, yeah. since then, I have, you know, read a lot of different types of uh, RPGs, different rule sets, different ways that RPGs work together, and have played a fair amount of them. Um, you know, for my brother-in-law's uh, 
bachelor bachelor party before he got married a few years ago what he wanted to do was play D D with a, with all of his friends but many of them had never played D D before so i was like D is a little too much for people who've never played an rpg before because there's like seven different types of dice and you have to know exactly which type of dice to do for which dumb thing we'll get there i don't like the d20 system but as someone who's a real still you know pretty new to this but i guess i mean gosh we've probably played at least 45 times in the last year um you're not too new then we miss a week we miss a week but it took and and again this is me coming from having played planescape torment and icewind dale and Baldur's gate so i'd i'd had that computer RPG experience based off. I think those were all based off the 2.5 edition rolls. They're all running. Yeah. They're all running AD and D two. Um, but it took, I would say at least four or five sessions before it really felt like it was starting to, I wasn't having to think about every little thing I was doing every single time. So yeah, it would be tough to have an enjoyable one shot if it wasn't, if everybody wasn't already familiar with the mechanics of, of D and D for sure. Uh, which is why instead I decided to use dungeon world, um, which is a powered by the apocalypse game. Um, have you heard of the, of the powered by the apocalypse system at all? I believe you have mentioned this in passing, uh, but that would be my only experience with it. Yeah, so it is It is a system that originates in the game Apocalypse World, um, which is basically a post-apocalyptic kind of fallouty um, setting for a an RPG game. But it has a very simple 2d6 system um, where you just roll two normal six-sided dice. So one of the things that's nice about it is you can play it with the dice that you stole from your copy of Monopoly. You don't have to hunt down <laughs> D20s and D10s and a percentage die and a D8 and a D4 for my magic missiles and a D12, and a D12. For, my, for, for my, you know, warrior's axe. And like, no, you just need two D6s and you roll them. You add any modifiers based on skills that you have or, or things that are harming you and making you go down a number or up a number, whatever. And basically, if you roll a six or below, you failed. If you roll a seven, eight, or nine, you succeed, but there are consequences. So like it's a partial success. And if you roll a 10 or better, then it's a full success. Very nice. straightforward system. Yeah. Extremely simple. Um, so basically, I just reached out to all the people beforehand and said, what kind of class do you want to play? And I will put together a character sheet for you. All you will need to come in is supply a name, a look, uh, you know, uh, tell us who this person is kind of like, but I will prepare everything for you beforehand so you're ready to hit the ground running. And it was one of the most fun uh, tabletop experiences I've ever had. That's awesome. Um, because it was a really eclectic mix of people between my brothers-in-law and some friends of theirs and then some family friends who are like, you know, it's different when they're friends of the family versus like someone I met at college who I'm really good friends with now. So it was a really interesting mix of people. Um, but we had a really good time and you know, that is uh, still one of the best experiences I've ever had doing RP. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that, um, uh, we actually, with my in-laws went on a big family trip for my father-in-law's 60th or yeah, was it 60th? I think it's 60th birthday. Um, which just coincided with being two weeks after the wedding because 
you know, Mormons, once they decide to get married, they're like, we need to get married in the next four months. Cause that's what <laughs> you do when you're young and celibate. So one does what one must when you're young and celibate. Um, so, you know, that had been thrown together quick before this thing that had already been planned. Um, but then one of the things that my, you know, family, my family in law wanted to do while we were out there is they wanted to have a, an afternoon where we all played an RPG together. Um, so I actually ran them through a session of The Sprawl, um, which is a cyberpunk uh, powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, and so we had, you know, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and and all my in- uh, my brothers and sisters-in-law uh, play this uh, cyberpunk uh, one-shot that I had put together. And it was also really fun. Um, and, you know, since then, I have just gotten really interested in other types of games um, that are not D20 systems or just are not quite so systems-heavy. Because, you know, mm-hmm. D&D is a very systems-heavy game. And nearly everything you do, if you have a really stickler, and it sounds like your DM is not like this, but if you have a really stickler DM, nearly everything you do, he'll be like, they'll be like, oh, well, you need to do a this check, or you need to do a this, the that check, or you need to do a the other check. And it's like, I think I, I think my character could just climb this shit. I don't think I need to roll <laughs> the stupid die to figure out whether or not I could climb a f- ladder. Like, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it's okay. Um, and so I'm far more interested when it comes to tabletop in games that are like that, where you don't need, does it make sense to the DM or the, to the GM that you want to climb a ladder? Yeah. Then you just climb a ladder. You don't have to, you don't have to roll dice to see if you climbed a ladder. Um, you know, I, I will say I'm, I'm going to chime in now because, because you got me thinking about it and, and it's very much, I think germane to, to what you're talking about now, but that really is, what is the mindset of everyone who is participating. And that's the big question I think that is for me, the key. And I have been incredibly fortunate that in my limited experience, you know, the guy who's our GM, he looks at this as this is collaborative storytelling. This is something we're doing to have fun together. It is, I mean, is he going to challenge us? Yes. Is he going to make us, you know, give us some puzzles, make us think, make us work in certain situations? Of course, but never to the point where it feels like uh, it's an antagonistic relationship. And that I think has been what has made it so enjoyable for myself and for all of the group is not viewing this as a, it's me against you guys. But looking at it, hey, here's the here's the story, here's the encounter, here's the thing that I want to share with you because we're playing a campaign that he created himself, okay. and um, you know you can see him enjoying. I mean, there's been a couple different times where we had you know these big long sessions, and and at least twice we finished, and he was like, guys, that was the best session of D and I've ever played in my life, and nice. it's. It's so that's what I think has made it such a, an an integral part, really. Of I mean, it's the weeks that we can't do it. It's funny, like because everybody in this group, we all work together in the operating room. There's myself, there's an anesthesiologist, there's two nurse anesthetists, and there's two OR nurses. So we see each other all the time, sure. and because we're nerds, we're talking about what's going on all the time. And and it's funny, you know. Last week we couldn't play, and so. You know, I was working with one of the nurses and I was like, man, um, he's a, man, I'm really bummed. We're not going to be able to play this week. 
And it's for us, I think it's really been because of the way that, that our DM has approached this and, and it, it hasn't ever felt like, you know, he's out to get us. And I think that makes a huge difference. And when you start to get two systems heavy, it feels to me like you can start to use the rules and the systems as a weapon. Yeah. And that's just not nearly as fun for me. And I'm sure that's, I'm sure there are some people who find that really gratifying, but you know, that's not for me. I mean, I'm going to tell you this funny story because I thought it was, it was great. We're fighting this. Uh, basically it was a, a form of a Hydra that, uh, to prevent it from regenerating two heads every time we killed one of them, you had to have hit it that turn with radiant damage. That was the that was the particular, you know, kind of what you needed to do to to eventually defeat this thing for real. And we didn't have a lot of characters in the party who can do radiant damage regularly. We've got one paladin and one cleric, but everybody else pretty much doesn't have a lot of radiant damage. But then we remembered. Sure that we had all stocked up on some holy water that we could mm. throw our water flasks at this and then some holy oil. And so our barbarians getting up there and he's toe to toe with this thing as a barbarian berserker is, I mean, a dwarf barbarian is going to be right. And I turned to the, to, to our DM and I said, hold on. What if, because, and again, he's being pretty flexible. One of the guys was like, well, can I apply the holy oil and still take a, make an attack? Or is that my turn? And he said, well, you know, normally you'd have a multi-attack. So I'll let you apply the holy oil and then take one of your attacks um, sure. in that turn. So, you know, cause he's like, that makes sense to me. And so our dwarf was going to apply the holy oil to his ax. And then he was going to get one of his two attacks. And I was like, wait a second. What if he takes out the flask of holy oil, throws it up in the air in front of him, and then two-handed takes his battle axe, swings, smashes the flask, thus getting the holy oil on his axe, but also splashing it on the creature. And then he takes his second attack. Can he get to do two times radiant damage to this to the monster? And our, our dungeon master kind of thinks about it for a second. He looks at me and he just goes, dude awesome do it <laughs> yeah man <laughs> and so again that's where it's been really fun because when we've come up with ideas like that that are maybe a little bit outside but it's a cool thing he's totally down for it and so i have appreciated his skills as a, a, a dm to uh to roll with those kind of punches you know what i mean yeah that is that's ideal that's great that you have that collaborative experience i'm with you like i don't i know there are people who and there are gms who are like it is me versus the players yeah that sounds like the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen i have literally no interest in that mm -hmm. uh, whatsoever that sounds you know i i like it sounds like your gm this is a collaborative storytelling experience. We're trying to make something and all have a good time. And very me much. being an antagonistic dick is not going to make for a very fun time for you. As far as I'm <laughs> I'm sure there are people that like it. I think they're weird. That's all yeah. I have to say about it. Nope. I'm hundred percent with you. So you, you tell, tell me about this character that you play with your, uh, with, with your group. What's, what's the group dynamics like? 
and, and, and what is your, who's your character and why did you choose to play that character? Well, so we, we all, it's an interesting group. Um, there are, are a few of us who are running multiple characters for reasons. Uh, long and short of it was there were some additional people who were, who started with us and after one or two sessions kind of realized maybe it wasn't for them. And, um, by leaving the group left us with a few gaps uh, at the very beginning, we had only one caster and that caster was a freaking warlock. We didn't have anybody else who was really magic. So I started playing a paladin cause I thought that, you know, fighters kind of always what I generally go with on RPGs for at first, but I was like, well, I want a fighter that does have a little bit of spells and maybe some healing, um, but is a little tanky. So that was the character that I started out with is that, you know, she's a, a human paladin. Um, and, and I, she's fun, but she's not nearly as fun as my second character that I ended up rolling. And that was when we were like, well, we need a caster. And I kind of, you know, cause our, our DM said to us once the person who was a wizard, once that person left the group after a couple of sessions, uh, he kind of said to us, he said, look, you guys really got to have more than just a warlock, um, for, from a spell standpoint. Cause we had, a we had a dwarf barbarian. We had a tabaxi rogue. We have an elf ranger. We have a half orc warlock. Then we had my human paladin and then the DM is kind of playing a human cleric uh, to add to the group that he doesn't uh-huh. do a lot with, but you know, mostly uses it to break out prayers of healing and stuff like that to help us all out. Um, and so when our wizard left, uh, I decided, well, I offered, I said, sure, I'll, I'll try and, and run two characters. And so I created a, a half elf sorcerer and it was, it was a lot of fun because one of the other things that our, our GM really likes is he wants you to have a backstory for your character. He wants your character to, to have motivations, to have reasons for what they do. So I ended up having a lot of fun creating this wild magic half-elf sorcerer with this backstory of a druid who made promises that he couldn't fulfill that led to her being exposed to powers from the elemental plane and just kind of all this stuff that, that made her an interesting character to me. And she's a lot of fun to play because she's just this itty bitty little, I think I made her like 95 pounds, like five foot, nothing. She's a glass cannon. I mean, she doesn't have a lot of hit points. She can get hurt real fast, but Holy crap. She can deal out damage. Um, we, we had a, uh, we were playing a couple, it was probably a month or two ago now. And needless to say, long and short of it, and this won't mean a lot to some of the people who are listening, but to other people, I think they'll find this funny. Some shambling mounds. So these kind of plant tree-like monsters, big things. They attack us uh-huh. in a swamp. And my sorcerer has sorcery points that she can spend to do things. And one of the things she can do is depending on the level of the spell, she can spend a number of sorcery points to twin the spell. And so for fun, I decided I was going to twin 
Firebolt. Now, Firebolt is a level zero spell. It is a cantrip. Yeah. It's not a... It's not a very high level spell. By itself, that's like a D4, isn't it? Um, no, it's actually 2D10. So, oh, how does that hit so hard? Well, she's like I say, she's a glass, she's a glass cannon. It sounds like, but it literally, it's a level zero, it's a level zero spell for my sorcerer. Dang. So I throw my d twenty and I get a twenty. So I crit. Then I twin the spell. Then it turns out these creatures are vulnerable to fire. And so my 2d10 that I roll, I roll an 18, which doubled because of the crit, the natural 20 to 36. But then because they were vulnerable to fire, doubled again to 72. And then because I had twinned it in one level zero spell, I did 144 points of fire damage. Oh, that's that good stuff. <laughs> and we still talk about it in the group. These like six weeks later, because that's, it was so hilarious that's and good stuff right there, man. You know, it was, so it's, it's things like that that make this character really fun. And then because she's a wild magic type sorcerer, if I do cast a spell that is not level zero, so level one or higher spell that has an attack role associated with it, uh, then I roll a d20, and if I get a 1, then I have to roll a percent die, and we go to the wild magic table. And it might be good, and it might be bad. Um, sometimes it's I cast magic missile at level 5. Sometimes mm. it's cast fireball at level 4, centered on yourself. So, you know, yeah. it's a... It's a high risk, high reward character to play. And I think that that has been what has made it uh, so much fun. Uh, the Paladin I do enjoy as well, uh, but she's very much, you know, she's got the highest ace armor class out of everybody in our group. And so she's the one who can get in there and take a lot of hits. Um, but the, the, the sorcerer, the, the half elf sorcerer, she is a ton of fun to play because it is very much kind of a high risk, high reward uh, sort of character sure so when when you're playing these two characters do you play them both like simultaneously in the same session or are you saying well in this in this session or this series of sessions it makes more sense for character a to be there than character b oh no our entire group has been traveling across the vast face of this land together and so i end up playing both of them in each session wow so like Is i said I, I figured How does after that work for you, um, it's at first it was overwhelming. Um, but at this point I have been doing it long enough that I'm constantly thinking about both characters and in my head kind of queuing up, okay, here's what this one's going to do when it's their turn. And sometimes I'll even sort of pre-roll and make notes. Okay, if it gets to me and, you know, everything hasn't changed and I'm still going to do this, you know, I've got my numbers all ready to go and everything uh, to kind of speed things up and move things along. Uh, there are a few times where I know that I end up paying more attention to one character than the other, mm -hmm. depending on kind of what's going on and, and which of those two characters is going to be more useful but it has not been bad. And again, the longer I've been doing it, um, it's gotten quite a bit easier to manage at this point. That makes sense. So, 
It's fun, though. I mean, you know, I get to take two turns when everybody else just gets one around. So. I was going to say that, it, you know, I don't know how well your two characters synergize with one another, but you could really set up some uh, some fun times if they do. You know, our whole group is pretty good at working with each other. And uh, so it it's really that's one of the most fun things is it creates lots of interesting scenarios for our different characters to kind of play off each other. Uh, we, we have this, we were fighting giants and look, it, it just involved a dwarf barbarian who was raging, running between the giant's legs as somebody else set their testicles on fire. And then the dwarf used the testicles as a punching bag. I mean, cause they were the right height for the dwarf to just go at it. And, you know, those are the kind of things that we get to set up and and it's uh, it's often hilarity ensues. Yeah, that was going to be so that was going to be my second question or not my second. My next question. What is the tenor of the campaign? Is it more of a jocular uh, air uh, uh, when you guys are, are playing or is it a more serious sort of uh, situation? It sounds like more jocular if you're setting balls on fire. <laughs> so. <laughs> Again, this, I think, goes to the strength of our GM. The campaign itself could be considered very serious. I mean, it starts out, and for like the first couple months of game time, we were uh, we were slaves. Our entire group had been captured by orc slavers, and we'd been branded, and we, and we were in a slave camp. And, and so it's been this long quest of us tracking down the, the other slaves, trying to free them. And so from a subject matter standpoint, it's fairly serious. Um, but uh, as a group, we all know each other very well because we've all worked with each other for, I mean, some of these people I have worked with the entire 10 years I have been here. And so these are people um, you know well. Yeah, we know each other really, really well. And again, you know, we see each other multiple times a week. I mean, the rest of them, they see each other almost every single day, but I'm in the OR three days a week. So, you know, I'm seeing them uh, a, a lot. And sure. I think because of that relationship we have with each other, where we're already really good friends, we hang out together after, you know, in this situation. I mean, one of the guys is, is one of the guys that I've gone to a bunch of concerts with and stuff. So we, we just have a, a lot of fun and it's really interesting. And, and I think this is what kind of is, is the biggest thing for me where I have found this to be such a positive aspect in my life. The game is fun. The game's just a lot of fun. That's great. But for me, more than anything, it has been this opportunity to make friends because I'm very friendly with a lot of people, but I find it very, very difficult to make friends. Sure. Uh, if that makes any sense. And again, that uh, I gets think back that to that's, kind of the social anxiety and stuff. I think that's just true for adults. I think yeah, that when you're a kid, so. it's a lot easier to make friends, but especially when you're an adult and especially when you're an adult in a long-term relationship. So you're not like out there trying to meet people to potentially date and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, it's just, it's hard as an adult to make friends. Yeah, it really is. I think and, that's just universal. And this has been a really good way for the entire group uh, to, to kind of have something to do where we're, 
enjoying, we're having fun, we're laughing, we're, we're having to think, you know, we're oftentimes, again, we run into each other at work in between. And, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm working with one of these people, they're my anesthetist or they're my OR nurse. So I'm working with them all day and we're sitting there in surgeries and we're talking about, Hey, you know, what do you think we should do next time? Or what do we think we should do about this? And we're bouncing eyes, ideas off each other. And, and again, the game has facilitated us really developing stronger friendships and stronger relationships. And yeah, you're right. That's really difficult to do as adults sometimes. And so I have been incredibly grateful for the ability of the game to be the vehicle for us to have these, you know, closer social relationships where we, uh, where, where it's easier for us to hang out and not have it be about medicine. Sure. Well, and it's just nice, you know, if you like these people and you want to be around these people, it's nice that you can have that outlet that isn't just talking about work yeah. because like, you know, I have some friends from work who I'm very good friends with. And, you know, when we get together outside of work, after a while I had to start instituting, you know, a rule that was like, no, we're not, we don't talk, no, not talking work. No. <laughs> yep. No mas. I don't want to <laughs> yep. hear a single thing about a single, you know, academic tech situation. Like, I just, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. So... I guess kind of to wrap up here, um, it sounds like you've had a really good experience in this last year getting into tabletop RPGs. I have. And it sounds like it's primarily been D&D, &D, um, which, cool. Like you said, it's ubiquitous. Uh, you know, it's everywhere. Uh, but I guess my question is, do you have any interest in branching out of D and D and trying other systems or trying other types of games. Cause I think for me, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to get out of D and D proper is I just don't like fantasy. We've talked about it here. I'm just not into fantasy. Sure. Um, in the same way that I am into sci-fi or, or uh, dystopia or cyberpunk or things like that, which I think, you know, draws me away from an interest in dungeons and dragons as a game. But yeah. do you, are there, is there anything that you would want to try or any types of, uh, of games or settings or, or anything like that that you would be interested in, you know, exploring moving forward. Absolutely. And it, one of the, and I actually think this for me has been a benefit to uh, D and D being as, as systems heavy as it is, as you kind of mentioned, is it has made me much less hesitant to explore other options I haven't really gotten into playing a bunch of them yet, but what I have done is gone down the rabbit hole of look listeners buying and reading if, if well, yeah. And if you haven't heard of humble bundle, you need to know about humble bundle. And it started out as just a bunch of video games that you could pay a very little amount for, and you'd get a lot of video games and they still do that, but they do a lot of books and they do software and they do other things. And I have bought, mm, inappropriate numbers of um, of RPG books through Humble Bundle. I'll be honest, if they have a bundle where it's like 15 bucks and get these, you know, 12 books in the Pathfinder system or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to grab those 
so that I can look at them and I can understand these other systems and then I can play them sometime. Um, so I haven't yet, but again, I've, I've definitely looked into it and started to kind of familiarize myself with those. Um, there's a couple single player RPG systems that I've actually, that, that I've purchased. Hell yeah. Um, where you just kind of sit down, you know, and you've got the kind of like that book that I read years and years ago, but you know, so, and, and these, some of them are based off the fifth edition rules. Uh, and some of them are based off separate rule sets, their own, their own rule sets. And so a lot of different places where I've something, this whole category of tabletop RPGs that not that many years ago seemed overwhelmingly, um, I don't know, just kind of off putting to me because of the complexity and, and such. Uh, now that I've had this experience understanding better, sort of some of the, just the central tenets of a tabletop RPG, regardless of the system, it's made me much more willing and interested to kind of explore others and other settings. And so, you know, I have some that again, are quite a bit of sci-fi and a lot of cyberpunk, uh, some steampunk stuff. Uh, There are a number of people who on like Patreon and stuff create encounters and adventures and whole campaigns in their own settings, but using kind of fifth edition rules uh, Mm -hmm. and adapting them in some cases to whether it's fantasy, but again, some steampunk, some cyberpunk, and even some, some sci-fi type settings. And so I'm, I'm pretty much at this point, I am interested enough that uh, I'll give anything a look and, and you would be interested in trying out almost anything now. Uh, And that's been a fun change to not find the concept itself intimidating yeah uh i and i think that's really apropos for you to bring up the uh you know people who are creating their own um campaigns and encounters and things built on the ogl the open gaming license that is DD fifth edition yeah. because as i mentioned at the start of this podcast the <sighs> updates to ogl leaked earlier today um, or maybe it was an exclusive look to one person. It sure sounds like they're making all of the wrong choices. It sounds like Wizards is really screwing the pooch here. You know, my uh, my anesthesia provider today was RGM, and my uh, and he and I were kind of talking, and while I was doing surgery today, and I actually said that to him. I said, "It really sounds to me like Wizards of the Coast." has completely lost sight of the reason that Dungeons and Dragons is as popular as it is. In my opinion, now I say this as someone who doesn't have the years of really being familiar with this, but I look at it as an outsider and I say the only reason Dungeons and Dragons has become so ubiquitous and so widely, if not necessarily played, but at least so many more people are familiar with it and are interested about Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing game, but particularly D&D, it is, in my opinion, entirely because of that open gaming license. And the fact that, you know, all these different podcasts and YouTube things have been able to pop up, and then the fact that there is so much good, interesting, and innovative, in some ways, content out there that you can just go and get 
fairly inexpensively. And again, so much of it that you can find really interesting things that you already know the rule set. You understand it. And so it's pretty easy to pick up and play. And by making that something that can no longer happen, man, they're shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, if they want people to it just really stay like on it, right? fifth edition forever, great. Keep doing what you're doing because, yeah, it seems so short-sighted. And just, again, like you said, they are, they, they've completely missed the ball here. They have... It just seems to show a complete lack of understanding of what has made Dungeons and Dragons such a behemoth. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I heard earlier this year, or I guess last year, sorry, it's kind of middle of last year. I heard something to the effect that Dungeons and Dragons provides Hasbro, who's, you know, parent company of Wizards of the Coast. Dungeons and Dragons provides Hasbro with 10 times the revenue of all of their other games and toys combined. It wouldn't surprise me. I saw a thing just earlier today. Wizards brought in a billy last year. A billion dollars. Their next competitor in terms of their entire portfolio, not just the games, Paizo had 37 million last year. It's not even a lot of that's, and a lot of that's board games because Paizo is also a big board game publisher, especially in Europe. Yeah. But like a Billy versus 37 million, it's not even a it's not even a question. No, it's not. And so it just seems so and I think that you're right, where like even if people aren't playing D D, there is a critical mass of people who know about D D because of hyper popular web series like critical role which yep. you know i don't need to talk about why i don't like critical role but i don't like critical role lots of people do or the adventure zone or the one that you mentioned earlier whose name i can't remember um there are a ton of podcasts out there where people play fifth edition D. so like even people who are not who have never played it themselves are familiar with the system are familiar with how it works and know that like if I was going to play one I would play D&D 5th edition just like the McElroys do on the Adventure Zone. Yeah. But that's all going to change if they really crack down and really tighten this down and people stop doing it especially because Pathfinder is right there. Yep. Pathfinder is just D&D 3.5 friends. That's literally what Pathfinder is. People who hated 4 went and made Pathfinder, which is D&D 3.5, which until 5 came out was regarded by old heads as like you were a two person, a 3.5 person, or a five person. Like those mm-hmm. are your those are your things. So the two people just stayed like your GM, just stayed with two forever. And the 3.5 people all went off and made Pathfinder. Yeah. And guess what? Pathfinder is having the time of their life on the internet today going around oh, being like hey sure. we we would love for you to make your stuff for pathfinder let yeah. us send you free copies of how our system works so like it seems really foolhardy on wizard's part um and i see why they're doing it but i think that they should have thought further about it well but uh, maybe i'm being i was gonna say maybe i'm being naively hopeful that somebody somewhere is going to listen to the criticism and, and it's going to click for someone and the accountants 
will be overridden by people with sense who look at it and say, oh, this is going to actually hurt us a lot. All of this Hopefully. forward momentum we have, we're going to just completely stop that. And, yeah. But no, I'll be honest, like it made me go today, hey, you know what? I need to go buy some Pathfinder books. I mean... If for no other reason than I'm like, I want to support... I want to I want to support somebody who's not doing what I think is kind of a scummy thing to do. I I get that entirely. But what I'm hoping for my goal as a little troll, as a little person who's just like from behind the scenes. <laughs> I love it because I don't think D&D is a very fun system to play. Sure. And that's just me. That's just me with my experience with a lot of other systems, having read a lot of other systems, having played a lot of other systems. I like the collaborative storytelling part of doing a tabletop RPG and not the which dice do I need to pick to do which thing. So I am all in favor of people being radicalized by this moment and saying, well, what other systems can I play? Be that Pathfinder if you still want a D20 based system. Be that, you know... A, a more traditional indie one like Dungeon World, which is very traditional style, or whether that's a weird thing, like play a Forged in the Dark game. Blades in the Dark is one of the coolest games I've ever played in my life, and it is so different than what you get out of an experience with D&D that it's one of those things that I just want, you know, my friends who are really into D&D or like you and your family, I just want to be like, yo, let's just hop on a Zoom call. Let's play some Blades in the Dark. Maybe yeah. that will convince your spouse to be like, oh, maybe I do like RPGs because that's what happened with my wife. We would play these other types of games and she'd be like, okay, I'm getting the vision now because I'm not so bogged down with like remembering what the rules are. I'm here to play this game and collaboratively tell this story. And sometimes I throw some dice on the table. Yeah. No, I think if, if nothing else, I am grateful for the way that I see tabletop role-playing games in general really having a moment and kind of coming out of, you know, the, the, the dark really that they were kind of relegated to for so long. I mean, you know, when we were growing up, it was look. if anybody didn't notice this at the beginning of the movie ET, they're playing dungeons and dragons. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of being billed as a not not negatively. I don't think Spielberg like used it as like, hey, look at these losers playing this. But it's very much kind of been one of these things where it's like, uh, you gotta be a certain kind of nerd to get in this yeah. into this. It was the purview it was the purview of the outcasts. Yeah. And it was really fascinating one day. We were talking about this a couple of us again at work, and the nurse who was in my room. Um, she's, she's great. She's a very good nurse. Um, she's the person who the second she walks into the lounge, she's going to turn on the TV to whatever trash reality TV. And, and she admits that she's, she's, she's just a horror for trash TV. You know, she, she'll be the first one to tell you that, but, and this was bad on me. I made the judgment that I thought this particular nurse would be one of those people who would mock something like D and D. And we were talking about it and she was listening and she's got like a two-year-old son. And all of a sudden she stops and she goes, you know what? She goes, I really hope that my son, when he gets a little older, 
can find a group of people who want to get into something like this. She's like, this sounds so cool. And for her, it was the idea of, again, that a group of people getting together, solving problems, telling stories, and enjoying one another's company. And yeah. you can do that no matter the system. I mean, that's what I think this is bringing to light is, hey, there's ways that, look, board games are fun too, and card games are fun too, but this is a different way that people can get together and and play games and be creative and just, you know, have a good time in what I personally think is an incredibly uh, productive and, and I'm just going to say it uplifting way. I mean, I yeah. have been in, in the ways that I said at the beginning, when we were talking about music, 2022 in a lot of ways was an absolute shit year for me. But one of the things that made 2022 okay was that I had this group of friends who I was getting together with on a regular basis and we were having a good time doing this, you know, playing this game. And in this case, it happened to be Dungeons and Dragons, but you could substitute any system in there. Sure. And we would have all had, we would have had the same, I think, you know, pretty much the same experience because it's in, for me, it is less about, again, it's less about the mechanics and more about that experience of everybody at the table working together to explore a world and, and tell a story and discover things. And it's just, it really, it's been great. And I, you know, I, I hope that it does bring into light some of these other smaller systems and smaller things that, you know, can get some notoriety and continue to, to do interesting stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, just to wrap up, I think that that's a perfect, uh, you know, a sentiment upon which to close. It's like, that's, that's the goal here. Like we're trying to build this world and tell this story together and have a good time with our friends. And like, what better way to do it than in collaborative, you know, creation and, and fun interactions and, and those sorts of things. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can close it there. Um, and we will thank we thank you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with, um, the penultimate episode. Yes. Of our winter, of the of winter X of our X content. Yes. <laughs> with Logan, the, the good one question mark. Hopefully still, hopefully it's We're gonna as good find as I out. We'll see. I, for me, I still think that uh, the first X-Men movie is the best one. And I would not argue with that. I still think I might like X2 a little bit better, but I, I, the first one held up way better than I think it had any right to. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. So uh, we'll see you all back here in two weeks. Um, as always, rate, review, kisses are on the line. <laughs> um, and you can always drop us an email at feedback at the middle of culture.com. Um, and we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks again, everybody. 